Hey, hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. What's happening, everybody? This is Michael Jernigan right here at Central Westland Church. Thank you so much for joining us today, wherever you may be, whenever you are listening to this. If you're listening to it in your car, at your house, on your phone, or your computer, thank you so much for downloading. Thank you so much uh, for checking us out and for listening to our online podcast, sermon podcast today. You guys are the best. We miss you today. We will be back in person next Sunday morning right here at 614 Hoover Street, Asheboro, North Carolina at Central Wesleyan Church. Uh, We're going to look today for a few minutes at Genesis chapter 6 and we're going to talk about Noah and the flood and all that good stuff. But before we do, let's think back. I believe it was four weeks ago I believe it was the first Sunday of the year, we went back to the very beginning of time and looked at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, how God created everything we see around us. We read in Genesis 1 and 2 how God created the days and the nights and the water and the, the, the land, and God created the animals. And then we see that God created me and God created you. Not only did God create everything around us, but everything that God created was good and how God blesses his creation and everything that we see around us. Um, Paul says in Colossians was created by God and for God. Then in Genesis chapter three, we see the serpent make his um, make his debut in scripture. We see the enemy make his debut in scripture. And we talked about his deception of Eve um, with the with the tree and what that original sin, what Adam and Eve's sin, what that means and the ramifications of that for us today living in 2020 and how we still have the same struggles today as Adam and Eve did by, by trying to fight against and work against the deception of the enemy. Genesis 4 tells the story of Cain and Abel, and we're going to talk about that a little bit here in just a minute. Genesis 5, we see that um, the whole chapter just tells the genealogy from Adam all the way to Noah once we get in Genesis chapter 6. That whole genealogy is kind of kind of important here, and the reason it's important is this. Um, it tells the human history, a brief human history of who was who was living? Who was around? Who was in this line going from Adam and Eve? And it simply says this, that Adam was the father of Seth. Then Seth was the father of Enosh. Enosh was the father of Kenan. Kenan was the father of Mahalel. Mahalel was the father of Jared. Jared, the father of Enoch. Enoch, the father of Methuselah, who is the oldest man to ever live. Methuselah was the father of Lamech. Lamech, we see at the end of Genesis 5, is the father of of Noah. And then we come to Genesis chapter 6. There's nine generations from Adam 
uh, all the way to Noah. There's nine generations mentioned in Genesis chapter 5. My question, what I want to talk about for a few minutes today, is what impact, what ramifications, what happened to the world from Genesis 3, from the time that sin entered the world, to Genesis 6 here, uh, we read about Noah and the flood and the ark over the next couple of chapters, Genesis 6 through 9. What happened? What did the world look like? Because of Adam and Eve's sin, because of the enemy's deception, what happened to the world? And we can get a pretty good, a pretty good viewpoint of that in Genesis 6, verses 1 through 7, says this. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. Verse 4, the Nephilim, nef, the Nephilim, whatever, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and chose ch and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. Then check out verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. You read those few verses right there, and you can clearly, as clear as day, see the impact that sin had on the world. Genesis 5, that little section right there said this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The message version of that same verse of Genesis 5 says this, God saw that human evil was out of control. People thought evil, imagined evil, 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 evil from morning to night. Man, y'all, can you see the effect that sin had from Genesis 3 to Genesis 6. Scholars believe there's about 1,500 years there between Adam and Eve and Noah. And we can see that within those 1,500 years, how different the world looked from Genesis 1 and 2 in the Garden of Eden all the way now to Genesis chapter 6 and how everybody all the time was evil, how every thought was evil from morning to night evil. Action was evil. Lifestyles was evil. We read that in Genesis chapter 6. Is it possible today? Now Moses is the writer of the book of Genesis. Is it possible today that Moses accidentally wrote the wrong thing here? Is it possible that people in Genesis 6 were really that bad? Is it possible that evil really existed to that level. I believe it is, even though it sounds 
a little much. It sounds a little extra. It sounds over dramatized. Let me let me say it this way. Whenever we compare the sin in our own life with the sin of someone else's life, all of a sudden we don't look that bad. That's how we can think that maybe Moses wrote the wrong thing or maybe Moses didn't communicate exactly what he was trying to communicate because we look at our sin today, we think about our sin, our mistakes, our mess-ups, our hang-ups, our habits. We think about the things that we do today and we compare them with the terrorists, with the murderers, with the sex offenders. We compare them with the worst of the worst and all of a sudden we see that our lives is not that bad, right? When we compare our sin with the sin of another person, it's kind of hard for us to see ourselves as being an evil person because the that guy is worse than me. He's been places I haven't been. They've done things that I haven't done. I may be bad, but they're really bad. Or that guy's a terrorist over there. They kill people. I'm just sort of bad. Right? I just lie every once in a while. I'm not that bad. Whenever we compare ourselves with another sinner, we always come out on the good end. We always come out on the the less sinful end. By the way, the fact that we do this, the fact that someone else's sin can make me feel good about my sin is evidence of how sinful we really are. How crazy is that? That the sin in my life can make me feel good about myself. The bad things in my life can make me feel good about myself because I'm not as bad as that guy. At least I didn't do what he did. At least I didn't do what she did. The reality is, if we can get past comparing ourselves with another person, and once we stack our lives up, once we stack our decisions, once we stack up our past, once we stack up our present, and we match that up to the holiness and the pristine righteousness of God, the truth is that we fall short. We may can compare our lives to another person and feel good about ourselves, but when we compare our lives to the holiness of God in heaven, we fall short. Now, I don't believe that even though Genesis 6, we see evilness throughout the whole world, and we see it here today when we compare ourselves to the holiness of God, we are nowhere close. That does not mean, however, that we are maxed out on sin all the time. I do believe, without question, that we are, we are sinful people born into a sinful world, but there are some redeeming qualities about us. You take the worst of the worst person here on earth, and they're probably, hopefully, they loved their mom, uh, or maybe, hopefully, they loved their dad or they had some friends to the fact that Genesis 6 is evil, evil, evil all the time from morning to night. That doesn't mean they're maxed out on sin all day, every day. What I believe Moses is saying there is simply this, that sin has touched every part of their lives. Sin controls their body. Sin controls their mind. Sin controls everything that they do. Sin was leading their relationships. Their work life was led by the thought of sin. 
Their home lives were led by the thought of sin. Their families were led by the thought of sin. Moses goes on to say in Genesis 6 verses 11 and 12 says this now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways y'all my friends the world then and the world today is in bad bad shape it's not hard to turn on the news or look online and see the corruption to see the evilness, to see the effect that sin has had on us today. I got a couple of things about sin, a couple of truths about sin I want to share with you real quickly today. Number one is that sin moves quick. Sin moves quick. If you think back back during the summertime, we had we did a whole six-week series on temptation and how temptation works and how temptation starts with a thought. And it connects with your heart and with your desires. And once that happens, it comes out in your actions. And before you know it, you're three years into a battle with the same sin that you can't seem to shake off. The same sin that started as a simple thought in your mind months or years before. Now, months or years later, we find ourselves fighting that same old battle. And it all started in our mind. And sin moves quickly from your mind to your heart and eventually out into your life and into your actions. What we may think are throwaway thoughts in our mind, nothing could be further from the truth. There's no such thing as throwaway thoughts. Look at, think about Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. When Cain murdered his brother Abel, that all started with a thought. Cain was jealous of Abel. He was angry at Abel. He had envy for Abel. All of those emotions start in your mind and connect with your heart and come out into your life. And sin moves. Sin, temptation goes through that process quickly. And before you know it, Cain was there, had already murdered his brother and it all started with a simple thought you heard the old saying saying if you give an inch they'll take a mile that's the way sin is once you give an inch of your mind to the enemy before you know it a mile has already been taken a mile has already been taken sin moves quickly number two sin disguises itself Sin will disguise itself. I believe today in 2020, we lack a healthy respect for the danger, power, and influence of sin. One of the enemy's greatest lies that, that he is good at telling and good at getting us to believe is that sin's not that big of a deal. Sin's not that big of a deal. We may think, or we may even know the sin that we have in our life, and we can believe with all of our heart that we have it under control. I can control it. It's no big deal. Have you ever been there where you think, man, listen, I know this isn't good, but it's just going to happen one time. It's no big deal. I can control it. After this one time, I'll be done with it. And before you know it, you're three years in and can't shake it. 
I believe today if you talk to any drug addict or any alcoholic, when they had that first experience with an illegal drug or they had that first experience, that first sip of alcohol, I believe today they did not take that first sip with the intentions of being an addict. I believe they took that first experience with the intentions of happiness, with the intentions of relief from pain, with the intentions of escaping a certain emotion by, by this, this outside force being drugs or alcohol. Sin disguises itself as being helpful. Sin disguises itself as being good. And what you think you can control quickly gets out of control and starts to control your life. Sin moves quickly and sin disguises itself as good. Number three, sin will make you believe that you are living right. Sin will make you believe that you're doing the right thing. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, Jesus says, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Sin will make you believe that you're doing the right thing, that you're living the right way. I believe that on that day, on that judgment day, we will see this exact scene play out time and time and time again. And that day, my friends, will be a sad day. I believe there's people in our life today, there's probably people listening to me right this very moment who believe with all of their heart that they are in a good place. We like to justify our sin and say, well, listen, God understands. Everybody does it. Forgiveness is greater than permission. We say all this stuff, and the reality is, is that we're not in a good place, that we're far from God, and that with God's power, we can have forgiveness, and we can have um, power to break loose from this sin in our life. Sin will make you believe that you're living right. Number four, I think this is number four. One, two, three, four. Number four, sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. James says it this way, chapter one. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Sin has consequences. James says the consequence of sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. And this, my friends, is where the flood comes in in Genesis chapter 6. God saw the wickedness. God saw the evil in the whole world. And this is where the flood comes in. The flood is a consequence of the evilness of the sin in the world. The misconception is 
is that a loving God, that a God that loves us, could never wipe out the entire population of the earth. Right? You ever heard that? Has anybody ever never gave you that argument? Anybody ever 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 said that to you to try to talk you out of your 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 beliefs in, in the scripture and in, in God? Or maybe you believe that yourself. A loving God, if God loves me so much, there's no way, no way he would wipe out the entire population except for one family. The truth is this. The flood didn't come from an iron fist. The flood came from a broken heart. God didn't wipe out the population of the world because he's God and he can do it. No. God wiped out the entire population and God sent the flood on the world because of a broken heart. God's spirit was grieved. Your sin today, my sin today, the sin of the people in Genesis 6, simply put, it breaks God's heart. His heart is so for you. God's heart is so for you that when you disobey, when you fall into sin, that can, that leads to death. It moves God's heart. The God of heaven is not some mystic far off being sitting up on a great throne up in heaven no god the god of heaven is interested the god of heaven wants to be involved in our lives today and your actions your actions your life moves god's heart when God's creation, when God's greatest creation being you and me, when we're hurting ourselves through sin that leads to death, it moves God's heart. The flood story in Genesis 6 is about the sin of the world. But that's not what it's only about. It's also about the faith of one man. And that one man would be, of course, Noah. Genesis 6, verses 8 and 10 says, 8 through 10 says this, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. Even though the whole world was in bad shape and filled with evil, evil, evil from morning to night, we see here the faith of Noah in Genesis chapter 6. Noah is mentioned in Hebrews 11 in the, the, the list of the faithful people that we read about in Scripture. It says this in Hebrews 11, verse 7, By faith Noah, when warned, th warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with the faith. So we see that even though the world was crazy, even though the world was evil, even though the world was in bad shape, Noah had faith. I want to challenge you today, this morning, tonight, whenever you're listening to this, with a simple question, is, is your faith consistent? Do you have faith? consistent faith we see here that noah had faith before the flood 
How do we know Noah had faith before the flood? Because when God called Noah to build an ark because he was going to send a flood to wipe out the whole world, Noah believed and trusted in God's word. Noah trusted what God was telling him to do. If Noah did not have faith before the flood, there's no way, there is no way that he would have trusted that God in heaven was talking to him, telling him that what he was going to do as a consequence of the sin of the world and what he needed to do to save himself and his family. So my question for you today is, does your faith only pop up during bad times or is your faith consistent in the good times and the bad. Having faith is not a part-time job. Having faith in God is a full-time experience. Noah had faith even when the society, even when his culture told him not to. I believe there's coming a day in our lives in 2020 or in 2021 or in 2022, there's coming a day in our lives when our society will try everything possible to tell you that your faith in God is foolish, to tell you that your faith in God is worthless, and our society and culture will try everything possible to try to get you to deny and disbelieve your faith and your love for God. There may come a day when you are the only one in your family that has faith. There may be a day where you're the only one at your job that has faith. There may be a day where you're the only one in your neighborhood that has faith. I believe there's coming a day where you will be made fun of for your faith, ridiculed for your faith, persecuted for your faith. My question for you this morning is, will you keep the faith? In the face of, of, of every evil, in the face of judgment, in the face of ridicule, in the face of losing friends and family members, in the face of evil in the world all the time from day and night, my question for you today is, will you, like Noah, keep the faith will you endure will you stand strong will you continue to believe even in the face of evil even in the face of persecution will you believe in god the father noah was fully persuaded concerning the reality of something he could not yet see being the rain, the water. And that's exactly what faith does. It enables those who believe to see the unseen, to know the not yet part of the answer, to charge ahead in confident obedience, no matter how outlandish, ludicrous, or countercultural it makes them appear. And God honors those who choose his ridiculous ways, his faithful ways over the conventional wisdom of man. My dear friends today, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to keep the faith, to keep believing, to stand 
strong in the word of the Lord, to keep the faith in the face of evil and in the face of a culture and a society telling you that your faith is useless and worthless. Keep the faith. Stand strong together. Stand strong in the word of the Lord. God's word is true. Be faithful. Have consistent faith in the good times, in the small things, and in the bad times, in the big things. And God will honor your faith. God will honor your belief and your trust in him. Stand firm, my friends. Stand firm. Stand strong. Keep the faith. Again, thank you so much for joining us today in the Central Westland Church podcast. We pray that this word finds you. Um, we pray that this word finds you and connects to your heart and gives you hope and encouragement to live with faith in God today. Thanks for downloading. We will be back in person this coming Sunday or next Sunday right here at Central West Lynn Church. We love you. We love you so much. Can't wait to see you again. Bye-bye.